0: Uh, what was the one we played Saturday night? Was that the two of us again, I think? Um, oh, it was uh it was what, Wrath of Wrath of
1: from the Mundangerous Multiplex in New York City. I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan, And welcome to episode 193 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters
0: and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about playing with multiple game masters in your group. But first, the rogue traders get caught in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the DMPC picks up the slack in the Character Creation Forge. Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by Genuine Fantasy Press.
1: They are giving away a free version of their new book, The Compendium of Forgotten Secrets Awakening, at their website, GenuineFantasyPress.com.
0: It's a book for 5th edition D&D. All the player content is included in the free version. That is 125 pages of new stuff, including 34 new subclasses, 17 new warlock patrons and familiars, and over 175 new spells and invocations, along with 10 new races and dozens of campaign hooks.
1: In total, there are 190 pages in this book, The Compendium of Forgotten Secrets, Awakening.
0: That is nearly 200 pages, Shane.
1: That is, and that is nearly twice the content of D&D overall.
0: <laughs> and considering there's a fair amount of D&D content that is not very good, it counts as even more, I guess. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'll let you figure out how to fix that net It. Look, look, I'm looking at you, Dungeon Delver Feet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So,
1: the Compendium of Forgotten Secrets Awakening is designed to work with both classic and homebrew settings, and it gives you new ideas for your
0: world and game. There's beautiful full-color artwork, and it is available internationally on hardcover on Amazon. And probably soon at Whole Foods. So, check out the
1: Compendium of Forgotten Secrets Awakening from Genuine Fantasy Press. Inspiring adventure.
0: So, not too long ago, Shane, uh, we went to New Jersey together on the train yes we did we went all the way to new
1: jersey we crossed a whole river you crossed two rivers two dose rivers yes
0: and we went to play games all weekend right yeah so many games like eight different games and like half of them weren't with you which was also awesome <laughs> it was great <laughs> we were at intro which is a lovely portmanteau of convention and intracaso
1: mm-hmm. yep so uh james intracaso one of the uh heads of our network deals with the podcast network as well as the host of tabletop Babel, um and uh you know a published uh, wizards of the coast D writer and uh editor for all the dm's guild adepts i think he's a dm's guild adept himself and uh connoisseur creator of the uh world builder blog i mean the guy the guy just does too much RPG work.
0: Yeah. Any winner, James Intracoso, right? Is that, I think that's uh, any winner. That's, James yeah, that's right. Yeah. We were there to watch him win that any, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Uh, he and his, a bunch of his friends get together every year and, uh, get together at someone's house and play a bunch of games all weekend. And we were invited this first time. It was our, uh, inaugural Intracoso.
1: Yeah. It was the first time they invited somebody who wasn't their friend.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. And also the last time they will be doing <laughs> exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So let me see. Uh, When we got there, we played Masks, Mm -hmm. um, which I I think we've been clear before that like Powered by the Apocalypse is not our favorite system. And yet um, it was the game itself was a blast. Yeah, I
1: am increasingly I hate Masks, uh, except for the prompts that it provides for your characters and the team building that go into the setup. Um, I love that. And I love
0: playing the characters I create as a result.
1: Uh, I just don't ever want to use the system for anything ever.
0: Um, I played a 42 year old college student from a thousand years in the future, where everything is run by Amazon Alexa and uh, Jeff Bezos, who is uh, perpetual.
1: And I played an heiress who is the last surviving of uh, of the Kennedys, um, who oh, that's used dark. who used her uh, <laughs> who used her family name and wealth uh, as a superpower. She was basically Richie Rich. It was great. Well, she was doomed. So, <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: Uh, and then we played Mothership, which is a game where you fail a lot.
1: Yeah, it's like an OSR horror game in which you fail at everything you attempt to do, which mm-hmm. turns out to not be scary and just frustrating. I would like to be able to engage with the threat uh, if I'm meant to be afraid of it. Yeah,
0: although it was in space, so that was fun. Uh, I played Fall of Delta Green run by Rudy Basso and written by Ken Haidt. Uh, that was a lot of fun. It's gumshoe in Vietnam with Cthulhu. Yeah, so how did that compare
1: for you? Um, how did that compare to Night's Black Agents?
0: Uh, apart from like a difference in setting, it ran basically the same. So like I had a great time with it. Um, I really like, I mean, for short games, I really like that resolu- resolution mechanic where it's like, hey i want to succeed to this thing okay i roll and the gm's like great tell me how you do that because like you do it you know it, it doesn't get so granular where it's like i'm trying to climb and so i will roll and depending on my check is how many feet i go or whatever right yeah, yeah. like i crit so like i flicked a cigarette in a guy's eye and like hit a an- clocked another guy with a flashlight and then like took out the second guy uh, with the backhand of the mag light like great boom we're done I think I was doing that while you were playing what burn bright. I was playing a beta test
1: of burn bright. How did that Uh, go? I don't know how much I can actually talk about it. Um, which sucks, but burn bright is the, um, new game proprietary game coming out for roll 20, um, that is meant to be played, um, through the Roll Twenty interface, like exclusively, right? It's all built for Roll Twenty, um, and it has four lead designers, of whom James is one, uh, as well as Jim McClure, uh, Cat Cool, and Darcy Ross, um, who are all people who have made other uh, cool RPG things. Um, and it is a—it's like a far future sci-fi setting. Um, it's called Burn Bright because the galaxy is literally burning up from the edges, like kind of an inverse Big Bang. Um and so the galaxy is shrinking in a dangerous, you know, dangerously quick time frame and everybody is scrambling to try and figure out what it is and how do you stop it and also fight over their own territories and uh it's like 10 different alien races and no humans and um you know it it does some cool stuff with the interface of using Roll20 uh, as a result some things that you normally wouldn't really bother tracking at a table are very easy to do
0: because it's online all right, so maybe we'll hear a bit more about that at some indeterminate future date.
1: Yeah, when I'm positive
0: that I'm allowed to talk about it. <laughs> uh, I played some Harry Potter bubble gumshoe, which is great, even though I was a Hufflepuff, which was completely unfair. Uh, you were miscellaneous. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: I played I played Ten Candles, which is a game that I've been wanting to play for a long time. It's a It's a horror game in which you die at the end. Um, and it's all like paced based on uh, ten literal candles um, at the table. Uh, it was another game where we failed a just disproportionate amount, um, not because of bad mechanics, but because of bad dice luck. And uh, and it got almost like comically sad horror because uh, we were so uh, so bad.
0: That's my favorite kind of horror. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think also someone who was playing that set off the the smoke alarm.
1: <laughs> yes, because you burn things uh, <laughs> when you when you use them. <laughs> so we had to play in a slightly more uh, risky version, uh, being the second time it was run the weekend. Uh, one without a smoke detector. <laughs> uh, so then we also played for the first time at the table Wrath and Glory.
0: Yeah, how'd that go? I mean, I had a lot of D6s and I like rolling lots of D6s.
1: Uh, I think the game we played was fun. Um, I think I did a poor job of Managing the system or, or grasping the nuance of the system, so I I'm gonna have to take another look at that before we um, really dive into it for Rogue Trader.
0: Yeah, I think I think we yeah before we like absolutely decide that's the system that we're gonna be using for Rogue Trader once we switch away from Fantasy Flight.
1: Yeah, um, I will say that character creation was uh, somewhat convoluted and required a spreadsheet. Um, And there wasn't a good spreadsheet available, so I had to take a bad spreadsheet that was available on the internet and fix it for myself.
0: Hey, that's what I did with Fantasy Flight's Dark Heresy, so, you know, it hasn't changed. Yeah, I know. It it didn't get
1: worse. Right. So there's that.
0: And we played, uh, I think, the best game of Blades in the Dark that I have been in thus far, although it may have been because this was the first time we had a GM who actually knew the system and knew what they were doing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's almost like if you read the book before you run it you get better results huh? also if you have players who don't reject the premise immediately you get better results
0: we didn't reject it we were just really bad at heists we did not ask for a uh, what's it called oh yeah a map <laughs> Yeah, that <laughs> was kind of a gimme at the end where the GM was like uh, I mean most people I run the scenario for like look for a map but like I don't know do you want to do a flashback and like get a map <laughs> it might be useful but i
1: we constantly run into this problem with blades in the dark where we spend none of our time like we get the setup right and then you're supposed to have the preparation round um of of activities and then you just go straight into the heist right you don't do the planning so you get like some information in your in your prep but you don't plan anything and then you use flashbacks and different things to kind of like plan post hoc well invariably we waste our like planning round actions trying to learn more about the setup like the premise or like manipulate some potential outcome if we succeed on this thing and doing absolutely no work to advance the goal of actually succeeding on this heist.
0: Right, I do some research into lore, I'm really interested (laughs) in like the backstory of all this (laughs) Yeah, I want to know, I want to I'm looking up ways that I
1: can screw over our employer in favor of our target (laughs)
0: Like... (laughs) <laughs> That's not part of the heist. Great. You're definitely getting shot later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, shout out to everybody that uh, we met it is uh, very cool uh, hanging out and loved playing a ton of different games with a bunch of different GMs. Highly recommended.
1: Um, speaking of cons, uh, this is a good time to mention because there's only a few days left, um, but the Akatacon... 2019 Kickstarter is still live, uh, on Kickstarter. Uh, that is the convention hosted by the RPG Academy that I have attended, uh, for the past like five years. It is November 9th through 11th in Dayton, Ohio. Um, As we're recording this, which is, I don't know, halfway through the campaign, it's practically funded. So I assume as you're listening to this, it is fully funded uh, and we are unlocking some cool stretch goals for uh, attendees and and different things like that. Um, So if you would like to go or you would like to support this con, uh, the Kickstarter is a great way to do that.
0: All right. So speaking of Dayton, Ohio, which is basically a death world, Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign?
1: So, the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k rogue trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And on the Deathworld Iblis Prime in the frontier city of Meridian, the rogue traders have set out to establish a colony in the name of the Holy Throne of Terra and profit.
0: Profit has been scarce, but warp phenomena have not been. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: You are high above the planet on the orbital defense station known as the Watchtower, uh, and you have set about undermining the Watchtower as your competing trade partners for a visiting Crute Fleet. And per usual, usual, you have made a proper mess of the whole affair.
0: Uh, Yeah, because... Silva, Lionheart, our rogue trader, uh, was trying to use her psychic powers, which she is typically very good at, but this time the dice did not cooperate. The power of the warp leaked into the room that we are in uh, and exploded all the windows and also some poor guy's head. Uh, Yes, the secretary of the
1: secretary of trade relations.
0: Not the undersecretary. Those are different things.
1: No, Yeah, the secretary's secretary. So, that set off some alarms. (laughs) Yeah, windows shatter, people die, alarms ring out, guards scramble, uh, and when they get there, they find the dazed and deafened Rogue Traders uh, trying to play it cool.
0: (laughs) Yeah, uh, the original plan was get in and out very quietly, and then erase all traces, both uh, digital and psychic, yes? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Whoops. So, I mean we don't really have any options here we do submit to searches although I think maybe the rogue trader does not because she sort of kind of has some sort of diplomatic immunity ish Yeah. we very reluctantly hand over weapons and ammo Um, I think we are lucky that we are rogue traders because otherwise I think it would have just been simply like thrown in the brig forever or summary execution
1: yeah they they treat you as um, something of equals yeah
0: visiting Uh, nobles I guess right However, like the the most uncomfortable part is when they begin asking us questions about Lil Magnus.
1: So Lil Magnus is your strange like obsidian black carbon fiber cylinder that you carry with you, um, roughly stool size, that gives you uh, like a pseudo telepathy, right? It's not telepathic. It's not psychic, but it basically lets you communicate. Uh,
0: yeah, it's a uh, Google Home. Yeah,
1: Uh, which you sometimes bring with you when that's a handy ability to have. Uh, And you had intended for Lil' Magnus to hack the uh, secretary's cogitator. Um, But now people are asking questions. What is this strange thing? Why are you so attached to it? Why won't you let us take it into evidence with the rest of your weapons?
0: Yeah, not cool. The rogue trader insists that the investigator returns her possession, Lil' Magnus asks... (laughs) Insisting that it is the stool upon which she sits. And of course, as a rogue trader, she is entitled to sit upon anything that she wants, and she has determined that this is the only thing she sits upon. <sighs>
1: So while the rest of you are undergoing question, questioning from the investigators and you know using Lil Magnus to keep your story straight, uh, yeah, Lord Captain Silva Lionheart is raising a ruckus. <laughs> so she refuses to submit to questioning and just complains the entire time about this indignity that the Watchtower is forcing her to sit in this inferior seating.
0: Right, the rest of the party's playing dumb and going, Oh, uh, 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 I don't know. The rogue trader's in charge. And the rogue trader is like, This chair is terrible. Look <laughs> at this ridiculousness. Is that wicker?
1: So, frankly, tired of dealing with these ridiculous rogue traders, uh, and Silva's rant starts to lose steam, uh, the investigator ends up leveling with her. Look, he says, We know that you and your cronies have attempted to bomb the Secretary of Trade Relations.
0: And we'll find out where that goes next week so this week we're talking about having multiple gms in your group this is inspired by a question from listener nate he says gents i'd love to hear you talk about how you sort out your rotating gm setup we trade around the gm chair but have hit some problems with some gms bringing down the group with lackluster performance we want to be fair but also need to figure out how to trade off without hurting feelings i have a few thoughts but wanted to hear about how you handle it before addressing it systematically as a group thanks Also, it's nice that we're getting called gents, which I assume here is short for gentlemen and it is completely inappropriate. (laughs) Yeah, so I think uh, we have alluded
1: to this and we we do have multiple GMs in our group, but I think it probably makes a little sense to start from how our group and play is set up um, because I don't think we're necessarily typical in that regard. Um, So we have eight people in our group. Uh, And we play pretty much every Monday night. Like that's our fixed night of the week, um, typically after work. So we usually get three to four hours of game uh, each week. So the oldest members of the group have been playing together for like
0: 10 years now. Yeah, very nearly. Uh You've
1: been there for what,
0: eight? Uh, 2011, yeah, eight. Eight coming on nine. Yep. Yeah,
1: I'm. I'm like, I joined like five years ago during the Morning Glory campaign.
0: It seems so much longer.
1: <laughs> and our newest member joined a couple years ago uh, for Dynasty Unwarranted. So, like, we've been playing together for quite some time.
0: Yeah. Um. We definitely don't usually have like eight people at the table, though. We generally require between four and five. So that's like three to four PCs for quorum. And if we don't get that, then we either reschedule for a different day that week or we cancel that week.
1: And then, of the eight players in our group, uh, five of them have GM'd extensively. Four of them have run long-term campaigns, like over twenty sessions, for this group.
0: And everyone in the group has GM'd for this group at least one time. Um, I, I think probably at least like three or four times, actually.
1: Yeah. Um, and and we had you know I mean we had some people who first time GMing was for our group so. Right.
0: Alright, so our weekly games, uh, we do rotate, uh, but we don't like rotate out each week. What we do is we typically run a single campaign at a time in four to six month blocks. So when Morning Glory first started, for example, I would run it for about six months straight every single week. Uh, And then, you know, we cover this in our burnout episode, like you get tired um, or it's just difficult to like keep that going all the time. Uh, You forever GMs absolutely know about this. Uh, So then we just swap out. We like hit the end of an arc and then someone else comes in and uh, like runs a different arc of a completely different game.
1: Yeah. It doesn't always work out that way. It's not like we've got it planned. Like, cool. You're going to run until April 15th, you know? And then on April 22nd, we'll run, um, like this person will run right and we know that for months in advance like a lot of times what happens is like either the arc ends and it feels like a natural stopping point or the gm is starting to get burned out or you know has something going on at work or at home or whatever that's like making it difficult to continue gming for a while or or just you know somebody else is like look i've been waiting i really want to run this thing like can we wrap this up um so like you know it's not quite as fixed we don't know what we're playing six months from now
0: right but you know someone will be like hey how much longer do you think this arc will be like three weeks ten weeks you give people an idea and then everyone can sort of like in their heads have an idea or start negotiating with the group about like what it is that we want to do afterward
1: Yeah. And I mean, you know, we've got a few few games running, so it's typically one of those. And whoever wants to whoever's ready to go next. Right. If it's going to be Dark Sun or Birthright or Rogue Trader or Eberron or whatever. Right. Like, we'll we'll kind of sort out what that's going to be. And if if we can't kind of come to a consensus of who's ready and, and who's got the most interest, then we usually just put it to a vote
0: yeah but almost always it's like other people being like oh no we like you'll be like I can't go back to rug trader yet like we're not ready yet or or like I'm super busy like do something else first and like someone will be like yeah yeah I can step up like I'll do dark sun for four months or whatever right
1: yep that's so that's our standard and then each week, you know, there's always some some variability, right? Because you can't run that campaign, obviously, unless you have that GM present. So if we have a week where the GM can't make it, we typically don't cancel. We'll just switch games for that week. So we'll interrupt our long running campaign with something else.
0: Yeah. So like right now, I am running every week our second Eberron campaign that sort of takes place in the same timeline as Born in Glory but i know that in a couple of weeks i have to miss a monday so like i've already sort of thrown that out there like hey someone prep a one shot or something like that cuz like i won't be around yeah and you know this gives us a chance to like stretch our legs with different games you know like you could just do a quick one shot with old characters or you know do a completely new one shot with a whole new system
1: yeah a system has almost no consideration on what's going next except that if nobody likes the system we find a new system to run the game in
0: I think also it is important to note that we have few games that usually run in the same system. Like Eberron and Dark Sun are both Fifth Edition, but you know we've played multiple Fantasy Flights or um, uh, Rogue Trader uh, is like not even D twenty based at all.
1: So this kind of gives us this this sort of you know, occasional like off week kind of gives us a chance to try new systems or, you know, if somebody has just bought a game or kickstarted a game or more likely a Kickstarter finally like sent out its product, um, you know, stuff like that. That's a chance for us to use these kind of weeks to not derail the campaign that we're running in, but still get some new stuff to the table.
0: Yeah. And it's good to be able to like sort of completely switch gears so that you don't get things confused. Like you don't usually fill in with another 5e game we do something that we don't play a lot of like eclipse phase or blades in the dark or dungeon world
1: yeah and and actually we have some like sort of secondary like off campaigns that we default to sometimes like uh we ran dungeon world kind of alongside morning glory and every time that you couldn't run um we would just pick up dungeon world because that was helpfully you know low prep um eclipse phase was another campaign that sort of existed uh on the fringes or in between other campaigns
0: And Dark Heresy actually started off as um, like an in-between game that eventually got spun out into a full campaign.
1: Yeah, like it was, oh, Dark Heresy, this new system, I bought it at Gen Con, I would like to run it now. (laughs) It's like, cool, actually, this is great. 40K role-playing is dumb and fun. (laughs) We should make a campaign out of this, Jim. Go do it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then a couple times a year, we'll do like... uh, Long session on like a Friday or on a like a holiday when everyone has off or like a, a long weekend. These will either be like an extended session of the campaign that we're usually running, which is like either a long boss fight or a long dungeon crawl or like the big like ending game. Like I think for the end of Morning Glory, I was like, all right, we're gonna pick a day when we can all make it and like. No one has to work in the morning because we're just going to go until we're done. And I have no idea how long it's going to take.
1: Yeah, it was like a Saturday night. <laughs> it was like on a long weekend. It's like we game as long as we have to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I am not making this easy. I'm not pulling any punches. And you guys are definitely going to complain and try to bargain your way out of this. Fine. Right. Spend as long as you want with that. But
1: bring your own whiskey. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know and then every once in a while we'll do like a special one shot or you know someone will have an idea for like a a game that doesn't affect canon where it's like hey just bring whatever character or or like here's a here's an else worlds or like alternate universe game that i want to try
1: Yep, um and then of course as we've talked about on the show a few times we also do Thrillicon, which is not unlike intraconso um where you know, our group will um, commit to a Friday through like a Friday evening after work through Sunday morning. We rent a house somewhere outside of New York and we just play games all weekend. Uh, and we just kind of schedule those things so that we get through like every game that we want to run all in the same weekend. Um, so it's typically like five or six games. We'll play, you know, one shots, new systems, revisit multiple campaigns is kind of a, a, a one
0: time thing. All right. So that's the place that we're coming from although that's certainly not typical um but in terms of addressing problems about having multiple gms in your group there are a couple things to keep in mind first one is that the self-awareness of potential problems that that can arise or like knowing that this is a logistical issue can be very helpful yeah i think
1: because we have so many gms in our group uh and we're we're rather open about that like our group kind of has consensus about what everybody likes or dislikes or does well in what kind of games or what kind of settings and like has a good feel for like who who would be good at running this campaign or who would be like really good at this system or or whatever like and then the gms likewise also understand like oh yeah i'm good at running these like low prep story games or like i'm really good at, at you know plotting um you know very complicated political intrigue or whatever right so people kind of stick to what they're good at um for the most part um when they're playing
0: yeah like i don't typically run short one shots or even like short little arcs i know that like i get sort of the most fulfillment out of running like long in-depth campaigns so like i will step back for a long time while i'm not doing that before i come in and like you know, do it for a long time, six months or like a year and a half. Yeah. And,
1: and and as a result, right, because because everybody is kind of self-aware about that stuff, like we can be pretty direct in our feedback. Like if everybody like floats a, a game or somebody floats a game out there and like doesn't have a whole lot of interest, like people are just like, nah, I'm not really into that. Or like, I don't know that you're going to run that so well. Or like, I'm, you know, like, are you sure you're going to commit to that amount of prep?
0: Or, or, maybe, or maybe like, are you sure <laughs> that you want to run that? do you remember what happened last time right
1: (laughs) um which i i know is not true of every group right like not everybody has gms that have enough confidence and and like understanding of their own preferences and tendencies
0: yeah but i think it it usually gets framed in like a, a helpful way right like hey that requires a lot of prep You know, or like I have run that system before and it requires like a lot of prep. So, you know, if you're going to do this, just make sure that you start planning it a few weeks ahead of time. Yeah. You know, Uh, we also pretty much debrief about every system and every game that we play. Not necessarily every session. Right. But every game. Right. Like a, a discussion is started by somebody about what works and what doesn't work. And often it is the person who ran the game. Like. I think almost everybody steps up afterward and is like hey so how was that for everybody like did you enjoy that system I felt a little uncomfortable about like this section in the narrative where I wasn't really sure what to do how did you guys feel about that
1: yeah and and I think like if your group doesn't do that right the best place to start that like pattern and and that behavior is to start with your own game. Right. So like stop everybody and ask pointed questions. Like, how did you feel about this thing that I did? Or like I had fun with this. What did you guys think about it? Or like, I really hated this part of it and I was struggling through it. What did you guys feel? Like, did that come across? Right. So you ask for the pointed and, and frankly, sometimes difficult feedback for yourself so that when you're trying to like, give the hard advice to other people around the table you've already kind of taken your licks
0: yeah and you know don't do this in the middle of the session right like if you have time at the end of the session that's great like while everyone's packing up their dice it's a good time to bring it up we are also sort of in the position where people will often like take a like share a a car home or like take the train home together it's a little more difficult if like in the suburbs and everyone's driving themselves home you don't really have that sort of like debrief time together on public transit yeah uh but like that can definitely happen in in uh, like discord or you know we'll do that via email as well
1: yep so the goal here is of course to make that routine right so that everybody in the group is comfortable kind of giving their feedback and and receiving feedback and you know like you said if that's every session or just every campaign or, or every month something like that um and i think in terms of giving that feedback you also want to make sure that you don't sort of default to deflecting um, and putting blame on a system or a setting or something rather than the GM. Right. Because the two things are very linked, like a setting and a a system and a GM need to work together um, for the play experience to be rewarding.
0: Right. Like you need to know your system and you need to know the quirks of it and avoid the, the potholes that every system has and lean into its strengths. You know, it's really difficult for uh, GMs to get better if they don't know what it is that they need to fix. So actually, this is one of those instances where, you know, you want to be kind about it, but you don't necessarily want to, like, couch things. Like, if someone is genuinely asking for critique, you don't need to, like, lean in with criticism, but you should give them useful feedback. Don't hold back because they're just going to think they, like, it went really well. They're going to do the same thing over and over again, and then, like, everyone's just going to have a bad game again.
1: Yeah, I mean... um. Like, I had a little bit of this, actually, when we were trying to settle into a pirate game, right? Like, I had said I wanted to run a pirate <laughs> game. Uh, I had prepped a pirate game. I had tried to, to work, like, a 5E into pirates. I didn't like how that turned out. I tried feng shui. We didn't like how that turned out. Like, it, it was all kind of a combination of systems and settings, right? Like, coming... Uh, or Sorry, system and GM, like, coming together and, like, either me not running things well or the system's not working. But, like, nobody pulled any punches that, like, feng shui was not going to be the next game that I ran. <laughs> right? Like,
0: it yeah, was like- would, it was helpful that you sort of, like, opened up with, like, guys, I really did not like that session. I had no fun with that. Uh, <laughs> did anyone else enjoy that? And we were like, well... No, <laughs> the story was interesting. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, I liked making my character's backstory. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> I feel like we had a good start, but then we played the game. <laughs> <laughs> and like you know that um, that trial and error eventually led to Rogue Trader, which we all enjoy. Right. Even even though actually we have a lot of problems with the system. Yeah. <laughs> and the GM. <laughs> I mean, that goes without saying so nate here has a specific problem he says some gms are bringing down the group with lackluster performance and he needs to figure out how to trade off the role of gm without hurting people's feelings
1: so i think the first question that comes to mind uh, when i hear that problem right is does everybody actually agree that there are one or two gms who aren't cutting it right like is is the is there a group consensus that like certain gms like aren't really enjoyed um because you're gonna run into a huge problem if there's not right so like if everybody is in agree you know seven people agree that one person is not very good well that's a different conversation than two people don't like this gm and three people don't like this gm and those two gms really don't like this third gm and like in that case you probably need to have more of a round table discussion and figure out exactly like what is it that you guys enjoy about certain gms and what is it that you struggle with about other gms and what it's like what is your ideal kind of for your your group and your table what is your ideal kind of session and game and structure and and format
0: right that becomes more of an issue of like are you a great group together or should you maybe consider like dividing up into different kinds of play styles right Right. like We've definitely played games at cons with people who like we love them as a person. Like we love hanging out with them. But like our play styles are so different that like it's fine at a con. But I would not want to be in a weekly gaming group with that person because like one of us is just not going to be having fun.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: If it does turn out that it really is just one or two people who are the problem here, then yeah, you're going to need to sort of deal with this head on. Uh, but the key here, of course, is going to be having empathy when you're having this conversation
1: yeah you, you need to come from a place of like everyone here is trying to have fun right including you and we want you to have fun uh as part of this but like we need to like talk about how we do that
0: yeah like running a game that is bad and that people didn't have fun at is the worst feeling i have ever had in this hobby
1: it's, like, it's the reason that that people don't GM, right? Like, it's the reason that you have forever GMs and nobody else steps up is is the fear of, like, well, I'll do it and I'll put part of me into my game and I'll be rejected for it, right? People won't enjoy it or they won't like my game or they'll think I'm a, I'm a worse person because I failed or, or whatever, right? Like, people build up all of this, like, story around themselves about how terrible it would be
0: to just GM. Yeah, when... Really, you're a terrible person because of your political views, not because of how <laughs> right. you run a game. <laughs> right. Why, why did you support Slobodan
1: Milosevic in that, in that election?
0: Unforgivable. I thought the choice was clear. So, I mean, one, like we've talked about this before. Like, If you ran a bad game or people are telling you that like they didn't really enjoy that particular session all right like everyone has run bad games and everyone starts off as a bad GM like you just do like I have been a terrible GM and I've told the story before about like one of the first games I ever ran was so awful that I was gently asked to like just end it and like you know just tell them how it ends so we can move on to literally anything else and I appreciated that I didn't want to do six more weeks of that (laughs) I mean, that's a, that's a, t- so how did that
1: conversation go for you? Cause that's, that's a tough conversation to have, right? Like, so you were taken aside by somebody.
0: Uh, no, it was like, it was like at the table and they were like, Hey dude, like we were packing up like after one and they were like, Hey dude. Uh, so we were thinking maybe you could just tell us how this ends. And then, uh, and they like, pointed to like a, another guy and was like, and like he was thinking maybe he'll run, like start running in a, a different campaign. And I was like, Oh, all right. I mean, that kind of solves that all right i mean like i felt bad right yeah like it wasn't a good feeling but at the same time it i mean i've been playing for, with these guys for like two years so you know we had like a good rapport like you know i knew that they weren't you know trying to be crappy about it at all and it was a bit of a relief actually for me to be like oh this wasn't working okay like i got the sense that it wasn't working but like now i have proof and now i can do it differently right right (laughs) and like start over without having to like salvage a terrible game
1: so is there a way that they could have shared that with you that would have like felt less personally bad
0: uh i I mean i think the the criticism is never going to be easy right but i mean i guess someone could have messaged me directly and let me know ahead of time um Like, yeah, someone taking me aside, I think. I think in a lot of groups, you have, like, the person who brought you in or, like, the the person that you're, like, actual real-life friends with. the the sponsor. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That is probably the person who, like, should do the approach. It helped that, like, everyone was good-natured about it. Like, nobody thought I was a bad GM. They just weren't into this particular game that I was running. And then, like, they were fine when I wanted to run another game later and try it differently.
1: Yeah. So So that's that's interesting cuz i think that's actually the most important thing is like when you deliver the hard feedback and and when you try to do that like with empathy um you have to put your money where your mouth is on the sort of the point of view where like i want you to be better like i you know like i am i'm saying this because i believe it but i also think like this is the end of this conversation right like this is like i would i would like for you to become better at this like that means you have to give the gm a chance right like you can't say like hey like sorry but your campaigns suck and we're never gonna play with you again like you're a player now right like that's not really a fair thing to do to somebody um at least not somebody that you would want to be your friend and continue being a part of your group, right? So I think it's important, like, if you're going to offer constructive criticism to somebody, you have to also offer them a chance to apply it and learn and, you know, like, show that they are also growing in the process, right? So I think you have to set aside time to continue to let GMs try.
0: Yeah, and then just continue that conversation about feedback. And, you know, like, there are always times when you want someone else to step up when you've been running for a long time um, it's great to take a break or like even players are like "All right, like we've been doing the same campaign for like a year let's step up and do a one shot those are great opportunities and like it's helpful for everyone else in the group to be like hey person that like all of us know but will not say out loud ran not a great game last time will you run a one shot I think that would be a lot of fun
1: yeah like hey in six weeks like could you run a one shot for us, like this person, like our regular, you know, the regular GM could use a break for a week.
0: Yeah, and he can even fall on that GM to be like, "Hey, actually, in three weeks, I'm going to be out. Uh, you, you there? Like, do you want to run? You have a, like a one shot you want to run? That would be cool.
1: Or, or if it's something longer term, right? Like whatever it is, like just put a time box around it so that it's clear. Like we are giving you this much time. Right. We will be completely supportive of you and like as do as much for your game as we can and try our best to enjoy it and like be as constructive and like try to have as much fun as possible during this time. And then good or bad, we will move on. <laughs> right. And if it's great, we'll get you back on the schedule as soon as possible. And if it's not so great, like we'll continue to work with you.
0: I think it's also important to note that like, this doesn't happen that much in groups that i've been in you know in the past like 15 years but i think it happened maybe more in high school was that you need to have people who are dedicated to the game itself and not necessarily two games run by specific people like you come to the group because we are an rpg group and we play rpgs you don't want to have people who like don't prioritize the game when a particular person is running like that that's just like it's not being a good team player. It shows like a weird amount of favoritism. Um, like, and those people need to be called out like, Hey, you really need to prioritize every game. Cause like we all play all these games.
1: Right. So we have in our experience or in our group, we have had some sort of like special event games too um, that were helpful when we had players who hadn't GM before and wanted to start right. Or wanted to try it or wanted to kind of dip a toe in the water um you know like we we've had like we set aside one night for a one shot for one gm we set aside like six weeks for a campaign um for another gm that's where we learned we didn't like mutants and masterminds but we did enjoy her gming Mm -hmm. um you know so like but it was all within like kind of the idea of like cool like we know that you're new at this we don't want you to overcommit or whatever but like we want to give you as much runway as you need right to and and feel comfortable with and so that's where we landed
0: yeah and i think since then we've been like all right so when's the when's the next game you're doing
1: or in Susie's case and i'm calling out Susie never again because every time she does this we die a little bit inside as a group
0: <laughs> only because it's too real <laughs>
1: <laughs> you missed her last one shot in which we were like playing as uh real people we're playing in name only which is a game where you're it's like a fantasy game but your name like the letters of your name determine your powers um so like each letter gives you a different like ability um and then the length of your name determines how good you are at any of your abilities so a shorter name has fewer but better um and we were trying to fight a dystopian fantasy trump um by breaking into the, the wall he built around the white house and defeat his family and cronies
0: that is one problem with being someone who like runs games most of the time is that like those cool one shots happen on the weeks that you miss right mm-hmm. yep uh, but <laughs> it is it is a little annoying to to like you know run a game all the time and then hey susie comes in and plays an awesome game that people won't stop talking about <laughs> for like <laughs> the next 6 months and you're like great so yeah. I missed that one and it was awesome. Cool. <laughs> Glad you guys had lots of fun with that, huh? Well, I think Susie has it figured out, which is that if you
1: only ever run your game like once in a blue moon, then people will be talking about it for the next year.
0: Oh, totally. Like step in, drop the mic and then leave, you know? Right. <laughs> no, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm a player again. It's fine. <laughs> I'll ruin your entire friendship. <laughs> Um, I think one thing that we haven't mentioned that uh, varies from play group to play group is also we are very sort of meta at the table in general, like when we are running games, because so many of us are GMs, you can see the decisions that whoever is running the current session is making and we can actually reference them, you know, so like someone will be like, okay, okay, wait, wait, we're getting off track, like, let's just pick up the plot hook and like, go to like go to baloch, you know because obviously that angelo wants us to go to balik because he's like laid down three of these right yeah (laughs) we can have that meta talk and that is helpful for other people who have less gming experience to be like oh okay i see that's what it is or that's what angelo was doing uh like it, it you sort of have this uh this primer for gming because everyone is talking about it out loud
1: yep Yeah. Or the flip side is stop throwing more plot hooks at us. I would like for once to just complete our main objective in a timely manner.
0: Right. Yeah. Or, uh, look, it doesn't matter if we go left or right because like, it's going to be the same room. So whatever, let's just go. (laughs) That that one's
1: a little less sporting.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And it's almost, it's usually not true, right? It's just, it's a joke. And then it becomes obvious that that is sometimes a technique people use.
1: Yeah. And we did this, um, actually so when steph ran for the first time um her campaign like she and i like emailed a lot in between sessions right to talk about like what she was preparing or like and she had she had like prep questions right like how do i make sure that this happens or whatever and and a lot of the time i was just like just don't like you know like it'll it'll work itself out like we'll get there eventually somehow just let us figure out how we get to where we need to go yeah you know, like, that's our problem yeah Um, so like a lot of like it was just I think it was helpful for her to toot my own horn right like I think it was helpful for her to just be able to bounce ideas of like you know I only have a, a few hours a week to put into this like where should I focus my time right um given this system and setting and and kind of campaign that we're on
0: yeah I think one thing that does happen sometimes is you get the gms in the group if you don't have a ton of them start having conversations about running games you know and they get meta about it make sure that that is happening sometimes out in the open so that everyone can get involved in it and that everyone can you know not only give input but can also learn from those conversations.
1: Yeah. So one thing that we haven't talked about and wasn't really part of this question but kind of bears mentioning when you talk about multiple GMs is the idea of having multiple GMs in the same game which is sometimes the village bicycle, right? Like each week a different person gets on the bicycle and rides it.
0: That's not how we usually play because I think people feel a lot of ownership over the particular story that they're running, which, you know, is cool. Um, But if this is a situation that you're in, then each GM who is going to be running part of this game needs to work out together their guidelines uh, for, you know, the logistics of how they want to do it, what they're comfortable with, how much each person can change.
1: Yeah, like, what is the what is the scope of any given session? You know, like, how much can you alter canon and, and those types of things?
0: Yeah, like, is this a campfire story where, like, as it goes around, each person has, like, full control over it? Uh, or is there one person who's running it and one person steps in on occasion, like, when they want to or when the original person can't make it?
1: Right. Um, and then the other, the other kind of thing that I would point out with having multiple GMs in the same game, I think it's critical that you make sure that everybody who's GMing are fully invested in their characters. Because if you've got, say, three GMs, that means that two out of every three sessions, you will be playing a character, not playing the GM. So, like, you need to make sure that... Um everybody who is, is signed up to GM is also actually signed up to play um and that they're, you know, invested in that.
0: Right, and not just not showing up when they're not running. Right. Uh, and then the flip side of that, you don't want someone who's so overly invested in their own character that like when they're the GM, they're basically handing themselves loot or yeah. you have two <laughs> GMs who are handing each other loot.
1: Right. <laughs> I guess I guess I always forget about those things we used to do in high school. Yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> like all
0: of those just boil down to like these are people problems and not like game or, or like technique problems. Right, right. So, I,
1: I to to wrap this up, I mean, I think like I don't know that we have the the most scalable model for how to structure your group given that we have basically 8 GMs in our group um and we we just find time times to pass the baton but um you know i i think this is a kind of a common thing right is if you have one gm there's maybe somebody who wants to try it um or if you have a couple there's there's a third person or something like that or a new person comes in so um you know it's good to like i think just have more conversations about how games are run with the people who are playing them so that you can have an open forum to discuss this and grow
0: yeah, and if you are in a game where there's only one GM, like consider initiating other ones because it's going to make everybody's life easier. Uh, it's going to grow the hobby, and it honestly makes things a, a lot more fun. It's it's It gets lonely if you're the only person who ever runs a game.
1: Yeah, my recommendation is one host, multiple GMs. <laughs> All right, do you hear that, Ishan?
0: Uh, that is the mewling of baby GMs. Uh, we are slowly breeding them in this vat. To be the perfect GM.
1: Well, I can't wait to find out what they grow up to be. So let's move on to the character creation forge. And before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N dangerous. And
0: you can tweet at Eshan at Carne, That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.totalpartythrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party
1: Thrill. Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by our friends at Cobalt Press. Would you like to learn the secrets of Elven magic? Oh yeah. Would you like to blast your enemies with battle magic? All the time. Would you like to build cunning mechanical servants with clockwork magic? Not so much, but I bet some people want to. Well then you should check out the Deep Magic series from Cobalt Press that has all of this and more for 5th edition. You mean it has
0: time magic? Yep. And rune magic? Yep. And illumination? It does. Wow, there's nearly 20 PDFs with new ones coming out all the time. In this series, you will find
1: new magic schools, new sorceress origins, you'll find warlock patrons, feats, spells,
0: magic items, and more. You know, at Intraconso, I found a new magic school... Invernay in Salem, Massachusetts, which is the American Hogwarts. Although really we call Hogwarts the uh the British Invernay, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And you can pick up the Deep Magic series for fifth edition at ww.coboldpress.com.
1: So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the
0: DMPC. For those of you who don't know, that is short for Dungeon Master PC. That is usually a character in the game who's run by the GM. This is usually a big no-no.
1: Yeah, it's, it's usually a character that's supposed to be a full member of the party, but happens to be controlled by the person who's running the adventure, uh, the DM.
0: Yeah, it's a technique often used by new GMs or selfish GMs so that they can still play in the game, but usually they just end up being the Mary Sue.
1: Yeah, you uh you can spot the conflict of interest from here.
0: Yeah. However, this DMPC is meant to make the game easier for everybody, the players and the GM. This is what a character who can fill in if like you need to step up and be the GM but now you're leaving a hole in the party behind you. Uh this is more of kind of like a
1: Like a number one hireling, you know, like useful to have around the party, but never going to steal the spotlight from anybody who's actually a main character.
0: Okay. So easy enough that like anybody could actually run them depending on like who's here today Mm -hmm. and helpful no matter the party makeup. So we're looking at uh, lots of skills with relatively low modifiers. So you're not the main person, but you can assist anybody you want and give them an advantage.
1: Uh, Then we'll also have ritual spells that help the DM give more information to the players that usually they didn't ask for and definitely didn't invest resources in (laughs) in, uh, preparing this morning.
0: (laughs) And, you know, in a pinch, can keep other party members alive. Always helpful and appreciated. And then, of course,
1: uh, we don't want our DMPC to be uh, sucking up party resources while offering only marginal benefits. So we've got a little bit of defense and sustain built in there as well. Nice. All right. So what's the build? It is Bard 1, Champion Fighter 19. I love simple builds like this. It, it, well, it's meant to be a simple man. <laughs> so we will start with Variant Human. Um, that gives us a plus one to two stats. It gives us a language, a skill, and a feat. We will, of course, take the skilled feat so that we'll have three extra skills. Wow, that's a first. Uh huh. <laughs> I'm going to spend my skills to get more skills, I spend my wishes to get more wishes. <laughs> Um, and then from a stat perspective I think this might be the first time we've actually talked about what array to use but in this case we're going to use one of the worst ones (laughs) so we'll take the the 14, 13, 13, 12 12, 10 stat so it's all like you know uh, plus 2 or it's basically all 1's except for the 10 and the
0: 14 and with your 1's you'll stick those in your 13's so you net 3 14's 2 12's and a 10
1: uh, so the goal for this build will be to maximize your con and maximize your strength um, and then you'll leave your charisma at 14 that's necessary for bard
0: stick all your ASIs into con and strength so from bard 1 you get 4 spells known um, one of which should be healing word because you can use it as a bonus action twice per day you can always uh, get someone up who is down in a pinch uh, and then you'll want to pick ritual spells Comprehend Languages, Detect Magic, and Identify the uh, spells that every party needs, but nobody actually wants to waste resources on.
1: Exactly. Um, Starting at Bard also gets you three more skills, and it gives you one Bardic Inspiration die per day, which is a D6. So the most important seeming roll of the day, you hand that out for them. It's a little bit of DM fiat right there. Pretty
0: juicy. From Champion Fighter, I don't think we've ever gone this deep into Champion i don't think anybody has i don't think we've ever gone this deep into fighter uh that's probably also true yeah Yeah. so you get a whopping seven asis every asi available (laughs) you'll need well you'll need six of them to max out strength and con Uh, the other one you can stick i don't know wherever or i don't know maybe take a feat but take a passive feat right
1: yeah yeah take something that's uh you know straightforward isn't going to require more abilities to track
0: (laughs) and no remembering
1: right Um, So you'll get the usual fighter goodies, that's Action Surge, Second Wind, and Indomitable. Those are basically the only trackable things that you have as a character um, from fighter. so that makes it pretty light.
0: And then, for the most part, your abilities are simple and static. You get that expanded crit range, it doesn't change, you get extra fighting styles, and uh, half proficiency on strength decks and con checks that you're not already proficient with.
1: Um, so for your fighting styles, you'll take defensive style, which is a plus one AC that's fixed, as well as dueling, which is plus two damage with a weapon in one hand,
0: also fixed right on your sheet. And then at level, level eighteen, you get survivor. Uh, you regain ten HP per turn when you are below half your hit points. So basically, you automatically heal. Up to um half your hit points which actually is less bookkeeping because you don't need to roll hit dice uh if you're the gm or you're some other player playing this character you're just okay the battle's over great i heal back up to half hit points
1: yeah and then also you're not sucking um healing spells out of the rest of the party to keep the dmpc alive you're just kind of handling it yourself
0: that's the worst when like the they become baggage yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> So the the net
1: result here is that you've got high AC because you'll use a shield, you'll have defense style, you'll wear heavy armor, Uh, you'll have high hit points because we're maximizing our con, Um, you have those indomitable saves, which helps you pass um, when you've got lousy rolling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then you've got some self-healing with your second wind and your regeneration, so you're less of a burden on the party. You're hard to hit, you're very sturdy, and then you heal yourself even if you do get down.
0: Out of combat, you have nine skill proficiencies, four from a human in your feet, three from Bard, and two from your background, which means that you can take things that no one else in the party has, or you can double up to make sure that you're giving them advantage when they're rolling because that's more fun for them. Yeah, I I like the idea of focusing
1: on skills that are um, easy to help others with and then they're also very frustrating for you as the dm when people fail it right so things like survival or perception um investigation stealth animal handling these are all skills that either like aren't commonly taken or they're commonly failed and then they present an impediment to you as the dm like it's the worst when they want to sneak in and like they have this cool plan for their heist and they blow the first stealth check and you're like cool you tripped the alarm now we're going in hot glad we spent an hour prepping this
0: right Uh, it's also handy if you are the GM who's running this character Uh, they have investigation so it makes sense that you would roll it and they can roll whatever you need them to roll yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh they found these clues here you go they're not gonna read them though you're you're gonna need to read them (laughs) Um, And then the other the other thing that
1: is nice to have a helper are uh, religion and nature specifically, because druids and clerics don't typically get high intelligence um, to go along with often taking those as proficiencies. So you can always offer them advantage by helping. Right. Which is just discussing. Um, But then the druid or cleric character will be making those roles themselves.
0: Yeah. Do you have that player in the party who took those skills for RP reasons, but they're terrible at them? um all of my characters (laughs) great give them a little bit of help so for leveling order just start out bard here to get the the skills and then straight through fighter to 19 all right so shane who is your dmpc uh my
1: dmpc is in love with one of the other characters he is just a, a simple lapdog who uh, f- would follow him around uh, regardless of where he went. Uh, it is an unrequited love, and it will likely never be requited. And that's okay, because, uh, you know, like, it's the kind of true love that just makes you want to make sure that person is safe.
0: Yeah. Uh, also, I'm the GM, and I don't want to roleplay that uh, romance with this player. So so in my backstory, I declared it was unrequited. <laughs> <laughs> How about
1: your DMPC?
0: My DMPC is uh, that character that everyone uh, wants to avoid playing when the GM says that uh, this game is going to be one noble and uh, the rest of their retinue.
1: <laughs> you're the retinue? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The retinue
0: where you're like, oh, great. The noble is going to make the decisions and then like I will have no agency in this. So my DMPC is the life ward or the um, sycophantic servant of one of the other characters uh, in the party. However, uh, in order to be the best, life ward or servant, they uh, have basically decided to consider the entire party as the person that they are protecting because, of course, if in case they are ever um, killed in the, the line of duty, which is, of course, a noble, wonderful way to go, she wants to know that uh, her ward will still be protected uh, by the others by keeping everybody alive and happy and together like a great team, rah, rah, rah.
1: <laughs> it's always good to put, like, a warranty on your life ward. <laughs> <laughs>
0: They're insured. It's fine. It scratches <laughs> all over them. Oh, boy. All right. Before we wrap up, let's take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash Thrill. And thanks to some patrons, we are
1: officially opening up our Discord to everybody. Uh, previously, it was only used by our group to organize some of our own activities, but we are instead going to open up the TPT Discord so that any listener or patron uh, is welcome to come in, discuss uh, amongst yourselves, and with us. Um, you know what's going on in our campaigns, or how to use some of uh, the different things that we've created on the show, or, or you know discuss character creation forge, or yell at us for things things that we got wrong or um, whatever it might be. So uh, check that out. There's a link in the show notes. I don't know what discord links look like, but I assume a bunch of random strings of letters and numbers. So uh, you'll have to click the link.
0: I'm very excited for actually writing messages. It feels a lot more like texting because I hate social media.
1: Mm, Perfect.
0: You can also leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And if you do that, we'll read it on the air. Like this one. This is Top Notch RPG Podcast by Lawyer Jeff. The hosts are brilliantly entertaining and all of the content is of the highest quality. The consistent release schedule and informative segments are a welcome sight in my podcast feed. If you want S-tier knowledge about storytelling and system mastery, then click subscribe and download. I think S-tier is good.
1: S tier is good. I had to look up what this was originally from. Even though I have described things as S tier, I didn't know what it came from.
0: Is it anime? I think it's anime. I,
1: I think it's just a like a, a video game culture thing in more broadly.
0: Uh, I've seen it uh, on the who would win subreddit a lot to describe like very highly ranked superheroes who would beat other superheroes. I remember it in some of the
1: racing games that were at Dave & Buster's and various arcades growing up. uh, Like they would rank you like based on your performance in the game and S was higher than A and that didn't make any sense to me as an American who got an A on his grades as the best possible grade.
0: Oh, I would have loved to have gotten an S or an S+. That would have been great. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And also now I wanted to go to Dave & Buster's. Okay, great. Well... (laughs)
1: before we head to Dave and Buster's what do we have planned for next week's episode we're talking about sowing plot seeds and in the character creation forge we're building the human cannonball oh well, that's it for episode 193 of total party thrill I hope we lived up to our name but
0: either way I'm Shane and I'm Ishan thanks for listening gather round travelers to hear our tale venture maidens is an actual play fifth edition podcast made by four longtime friends and lifetime gamers we take our role playing as seriously as we keep our bulges tasteful so if you're looking for an epic high fantasy tale spun by a killer cast give us a shot we publish new episodes every other week and live stream our game recordings on twitch Now get on out there and download Venture Maidens wherever podcasts are free. Hope to see you in the community and don't forget to venture away.